I think way too often you have content marketing who put stuff out there, but then you have product marketing and customer marketing who they get to talk to the customers, but content doesn't, mm -hmm. or the man gen talks to sales, but content doesn't, or brand talks to the leadership, but content doesn't. And it just, I think content flows through not just all your marketing funds, but like the entire go to market org. So I think we need to stop treating content marketing as this siloed thing that sits alongside and treat it something like it's more foundational to multiple functions. That was Brooklyn Nash, the co-founder of Beam Content, which helps B2B SaaS companies create expert-driven content based on interviews and original data so that they can build trust with their buyers. In this episode, I talked to Brooklyn as well as Nathan Collier, founder of the Content Marketing Lounge, a community for content marketing professionals. Nathan and Brooklyn are both frequent names on lists of content marketers you should know. I'm EJ Brown, and you're listening to the Content Marketing is Dead podcast. Let's dive in. Nathan, Brooklyn, welcome to Content Marketing is Dead. You're two of my first guests. So I'm super excited to have you both together. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks, EJ. <laughs> Good to meet you both. I'm going to let Nathan go first. So what I would love from you is just a 30-second pitch. How do you introduce yourself at a conference? Like something like the, you know, content marketing world where you're not pitching your company, you're pitching yourself. And what is your content marketing superpower? Oh, well, I'm Nathan Collier. I'm a content marketer by trade, former journalist. I started the Content Marketing Lounge about seven years ago now, almost eight years ago, which is a community of 8,000 plus people. We started on Facebook. Now there's a podcast and some training courses and some other things that are out there. That's kind of my online home and what people know me for. By day, I'm the director of content at a company called Pursuit, which is a legal tech company based out of New York, but I live and work out of my, my hometown here in Dayton, Ohio. My content marketing superpower, to be a content marketer, you have to wear so many hats, right? So it's like... <laughs> Which one? Storytelling is, is where I come from, right? So that journalism background for me taking, and I, and I think the voice of the customer, bringing the voice of the customer, or even not like, could sometimes even be like the future customer, right? Like the, the voice of the audience, bringing that into content is, mm. that's where I live. That's what I love. And that's what, that's, that's probably the thing I do better than any other thing. So I know Nathan way better than I know Brooklyn. I have worked with Nathan at three different companies and he knows that I'm incredibly envious, jealous of his interviewing skills. Every time I listen, I think, how did you keep up with that? You know, and then I listen to myself <laughs> and I'm like, I just got lost, you know, but many, yeah. many, many, many conversations with high school football coaches and, and all of that when I was in my twenties. So that journalism <laughs> That's how you yeah. come in handy. Yeah, yeah it does. I love it. All right. All right, Brooklyn. 30 second pitch at some sort of content marketing conference and your, your superpower. Mm. Yeah. I'm a co-founder at beam content along with a couple of other co-founders. We started in June of last year. So we're pretty new. I, I, before that I was freelancing for about eight years and worked in house for a couple of years at other B2B SaaS companies. Yeah. Superpower. This is totally going to sound like I'm copying Nathan. I wouldn't say storytelling, <laughs> but the whole reason we started beam was we wanted to offer content that started with conversations with actual experts. So most of our core offering focuses on content that pulls out insights from internal experts, future, I love that you said future customers, Nathan, customers, other people in the space, just to give that next level of, of 
truly educational content. And sometimes that's like a ghostwritten piece. Sometimes it's a feature piece. It just depends on the needs of the topic. But that's what I've loved working on these last couple of years. So what what was it that really spurred the start of Beam? What were you seeing or not seeing in, in marketing that led to it? It was a couple of things. So number one was actually my in-house role. I was at Outreach focused on community content. So kind of by default, a lot of the content that we were creating started with actual sales experts, VPs of sales, SDR managers, people who knew their stuff and weren't necessarily writers. So we were kind of like walking them through that process. And it was just really fun. So that was point number one. Point number two is I was seeing a lot of agencies either go all in on SEO or be generalist agencies. Um, and it really did, it was super anecdotal, but it did feel like a gap in in B2B SaaS. So that's why we decided to, to go this direction. Sweet. Nathan, I want to ask you too, like you, you really help launch a lot of content marketing careers to the content marketing lounge. It's fascinating just being in it and seeing people's questions and then their questions evolve, you know, over time. What's like, what's one common piece of advice that you give? Do you find yourself giving over and over again to, to just help people become better content marketers? Well, it's on theme for, for what Brooklyn was saying and I think what we're, it's talk to the audience. <laughs> um, and I'm, I'm, I'm just I'm so, so shocked by this because it seems so fundamental to me and it, maybe it's the journalism thing. Like maybe it's just my journalism muscles is I cannot believe how many marketers go through their lives. Never, they never get on a call. They never go to a conference. They, I, I've talked to marketers who've been in a content marketing role for years and they've never been on a call with a customer. Like they've never literally had a discussion with the people who they're trying to sell. That just, I don't know. I, I personally can't do that. Like I can't, I can't do my job if I haven't spent some time with the people that I'm trying to reach with the content. And I think, and, and I know it can be hard, right? The very first job I had in marketing when I made the switch from marketing or journalism to marketing back in 08, it was really difficult. Like just, it was a huge organization. We had 50 people in marketing, like 300 people in sales, 5,000 people in the company. Like they just didn't let you just join calls, right? You couldn't just like jump on a call. And, and so it took me, it took me a while to sort of figure out kind of how to do that. And my biggest hack for that, honestly, is, but there's a lot of people who come into the content marketing lounge who are self-employed or who want to do become self-employed. And so maybe they have a job today, maybe they're freelancing, maybe they're doing both, which is what I did when I started. So, cause I freelance for a while as well. But what I tell them is if you get the opportunity to start working with a new client, the first thing I always asked when I was doing contract work was, can I do a customer story? Can I do a case study? Can I do a profile story? And it was just a hack. <laughs> But what it did is it got me on the phone with one of their customers and it, it did it in a way that wasn't just like, Hey, I want to like, it wasn't just a, it wasn't just a pure ask from their customer. It was like, Hey, let me like, I'm going to actually feature you in a story. And so it's value to them, but it's also value to the company and it's value to me as a contractor. So it wins, wins all over the place. And so my best, my best like advice for people who really want to get good at content marketing is just find any which way you can to talk to the audience. And that can be, it's usually customers is the easiest thing. Um, but if you, if you can't do that, then the, the people in market that you're trying to reach, if you can just reach out to them and find a way to include them in some content piece that you're working on that gets you on the phone with them. And then you start to understand them better. Cause once you have one conversation with, with somebody, 
they stop being that like blank persona, right? That HubSpot taught us like that marketing Mary thing where it's just like, this is Mary. She cares about leads. <laughs> she drinks her coffee black, whatever, whatever it was that they put on that. And it's a, it's an okay story. Like I'm not bashing on HubSpot. They're really good at what they do, but that person is just two dimensional. And once you talk to them, they become a three dimensional person. You start to, you start to just have that human connection. It just becomes so much easier to create content from that point forward. Cause now I have somebody in my head that I can actually, they're a real person and I can start to think about them when I create content. What's worked for us, if you can't connect directly with customers, is talk to sales, because guess who's talking to prospects every, every day? Mm-hmm. And especially if you're a larger company, talk to the people inside your company that match your personas. Like if you're selling to VP of people, talk to your people team. <laughs> By all means, feel free to to just turn this into a conversation. But I'm really curious, Brooklyn, like when, when you start engaging with prospects or new customers, do they know what's missing? Is that why do they come to you or they just know they need something different? Most of the time it's, they know they need something different. Often it's walking through to what that thing, maybe 90% of the time they come to us and they have their SEO on lock. We don't need to help them with that. Thank goodness. Cause we don't do SEO. Sometimes they have customer stories that like case studies down, but haven't figured out how to leverage customers for more than just a challenge, solution, outcome type case study, like instead getting in with your champions and telling an actual story. So we just spend a month, our first month kind of walking them through what we can do. Mm-hmm. And that really helps kind of fill the gaps with what they have in place versus what's missing. What's the aha moment for them? Like when they, they realize that this is the thing that that has been missing? I think there's a mini one and then a main one. The mini one is when we come back at the end of our kickoff month and present, okay, here's what we heard by talking to your VP of sales, your CEO, your head of customer success, listening to customer interviews and pulling a topic ideation out of that rather than just like pulling it out of a hat Mm. and kind of formulating, this is what people are talking about. Here's the questions they're asking. And I think it kind of clicks once they see the types of topics we can cover. Mm. And then number two, and this is, this is this sounds braggy, but I think seeing the first deliverables and the, the quality of the content, because I think we all know there's such a huge range. Like you can pay a writer five cents a word. You could use ChatGPT, or you could pay $1.50, $2 a word, <laughs> the equivalent. And so there's such, such a big range in the quality that you can get in content. And I think when those first drafts come back, they can, they can. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Interesting. I think, I think the, I was on job boards taking like those crappy jobs where, you know, some company would just throw a keyword at me, right. Be like, go write an 800 word article about gutters yep. <laughs> or paint <laughs> or whatever. And I didn't know anything about gutters or paint or whatever. So I just opened up Google and searched around. And if I could find some list posts, those were the best, right? Because then I could just. If I got three list posts, I can take two points from each and then boom, I create my own article, right? And they would pay me 60 bucks or 80 bucks or $100 or whatever. But that's not insightful content. That's not good content, right? And and I think we were so, we as an industry are so, we're just inundated by that. I just see that is still rampant today. And I wonder, I wonder if ChatGPT is finally going to like wipe that out. Like, because ChatGPT can do that better than any human, right? That's mm. fundamentally what it's doing is it's... It can do it faster. Faster. That's a good point. Yeah. That's a good point. It's doing it faster. Certainly cheaper. And I, cheaper. Yeah. I just want us to get more into... I would love for the industry to get more into how can we 
we, those of us who create content, how can create stuff that no computer can create? Cause it doesn't exist yet. It's unique. It's insightful. It's a customer story. It's a, it's a subject matter expert. It's something that doesn't exist on the internet or in a book yet. That's what I want. That's what I'd love to see happen. I think, yeah. I feel like this all ties together that what's missing in content marketing is often that the writer goes in or the content creator, or whatever gets hired to be the expert in most cases, as opposed to being the person who knows how to find the expert, frame the expert, et cetera, which is often the customer, right? Or it's somebody internal in the company or it's, you know, or it's even maybe like studies and things that you can find, but it, it's not generally what Nathan tends to refer to as like dumpster diving, which is really what ChatGPT does. You know, it's the expert dumpster dumpster diver, like just finding content online and making it sound like a typical right now content marketer would write it, you know? And I just want to say, I just lost my first possible job to chat GBT. I just, <laughs> I just left my full-time job at, at Fastbring where I was leading content after Nathan left. And I was talking to somebody who was looking for a company, a young company who was looking for a content lead and they decided that they were just going to have chat GBT write all their content as opposed to hiring somebody to create strategy and content. I thought this is scary. (laughs) 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 Yeah. So I think that's the first I've heard of that. Yeah. Right. That actually happening. Just like you might've dodged a bullet on that one. I, yeah, exactly. I think any company that is willing to, to go that way, with their brand is probably not seeing the big picture, but I'm curious, like, I feel like this is often the case of so many agencies that I've worked with in the past that produce content this way of without like, in some ways, like doing the soul searching of the market, you know, (laughs) that it, it feels sort of par for course. Mm. Bland. Is that what you mean? Yeah. Like. I don't know how many times that I've been asked as a writer to write based off of a brief that was created by somebody who has not talked to customers, has not talked to people inside of a company and is just doing it based off existing content. And it, you know, it's, it feels just like rabbits reproducing in a way like, no, we just need more of the same content as opposed to. And I feel like that's both what you both are saying, right? Is that, you know, if you talk to customers, if you talk to people inside the company, if you, then the quality goes up because you actually become experts in this thing, as opposed to assuming you can research your way into that role. Does that sound right? Yeah. yeah the rabbits reproducing is spot on because that's exactly what ChatGPT can do just faster. Right. And I loved how you put it, Nathan, of like, how can we as content marketers aim to create content, the type of content that AI can't replicate? Yeah. And I feel like I've had to modulate my response here because I'm a content marketing agency owner. So, of course, I'm going to sound like the grumpy old man on my lawn, like yelling at chemtrails or something. But I just don't see it. I've tried again and again, and I just can't see the quality there. I think if you're trying to replicate what you're talking about, of let's peruse Google and rearrange things and rewrite then yeah chat gpt can replicate that but it can't replicate well articles based on conversations it can't replicate like social roundups it can't replicate 
in the weeds, real world examples. So I think that at least for us and what we work on with our clients, the key to making that differentiated content is maybe 30% about the quality of the writing itself. And it's much more about making sure we're hitting the right topics, making sure we're pulling in either real world examples or quotes from leadership or an actual expert or somebody in screenshots, just like making it really tangible for people. Because even in the research stage, I don't think it works that well because you can ask chat the GPT to spit out a list of 10 topics, but are those really tied to what your customers and your prospects really care? I would love for you both to give me an example of something that you've recently published that you were proud to put out into the world. Does anything come to mind? I got a bunch. <laughs> we've been, we've been, like, I've, it's for both so of you. Yeah. Stuff lately. I'll give you one. It's it's not even like it, in terms of like it didn't go viral. It's not like you know what I mean. It wasn't it wasn't a piece that had like a world shaking impact. But for me, in the work that I'm doing, so so to, to give you some context, like the I worked at a company called Pursuit. It was founded by somebody who used to be like a, a practice head in in one of the global regional heads at the third largest legal firm in the world. And the companies that we sell to are all come, they're all, they're all fortune 500 and many of them are fortune 100 companies. They're the biggest companies in the world. Like there's no, there's no going up market for us. We are at the top of the market. It's that in that world. And we sell to the legal departments inside of those companies. Like they are, they're all like, they're all, they all have law degrees. They all went to Princeton, Yale, and like the, they're all incredibly smart, and incredibly bright. Like I can't, I can't just spit out a GPT piece and put it in front of them. You know, like that, that audience, they they could just do that themselves, right? They don't, they don't need me to do that for them. And so in that, in that world, like we have to do something, something that's a little bit different, something that's a little bit, just has a little bit of bite to it, especially in a world like legal, which is traditionally very conservative, very like cautious about doing things. And so we, we have been playing around with this sort of this campaign called kill the billable hour, kill billable hours, which for the rest of us is just sort of like a billing, like, okay, I charge hourly versus I charge by project. Like I was a freelancer for a while, like whatever, <laughs> like you can pay me however, I don't really care <laughs> as long as it, as long as it makes sense. But in the world of legal, like that's a, it's like a whole, there's like a whole cultural thing that's built up about the, around the billable hour and all this stuff. And, I, and I've had to sort of like learn that market as I've joined this company. Um, but we did, I did a podcast with the founder and it was just, just a, just a, like a, we do one a week. Right. But I sat down with the, the guy who runs the company that I work at and we went through, like, if you really like, because of the billable hour, because this is the like billing model of choice in this market, it has all these negative downstream impacts, right? Like, like the lawyers are very unhappy people, <laughs> like statistically, like they have high rates of depression, alcoholism, suicide, depression, all this stuff. And it was jarring. Like some of those stats were jarring. And, and so just, I, I, my job was to come to it and be the journalist, right? It's to sort of investigate and to dig into those kinds of things and to bring the stats, to bring the research and that kind of stuff. And I just, I, I was really proud of the output on that one. And it became like an anchor piece that I can refer back to anytime we, like, even when I get like a, somebody who's joined the company, like I can talk, I can sort of point back to that episode. I'm like, you should listen to this. This will really sort of get you into this story, this sort of brand story that we're building. That's, it's bigger even than just the brand. It's a market level 
kind of story. And it was fun to be part of that. That wasn't, I didn't come up with that, right? But it's my job to amplify that thing as, as much as I can <laughs> and to sort of get that thing to go out into the market so that people know who we are and what we're about. So that was, a, that was one that I'm really proud of. I love that it started with the, the founder. Yeah. <clears throat> I do. I have an answer for you, Jay, but I, you mentioning your job to be, was to be the journalist, Nathan. I, I want to interject with a question. Mm -hmm. That's okay. Sure. Probably one of my most controversial tweets ever was content marketing is crappy journalism with better pay. <laughs> I'm curious. I'm curious for your thoughts on that. You're not wrong. <laughs> that's a, that's a, so EJ's laughing because like EJ and I, that, that's a phrase that I use a lot. I think the way I would phrase it, having lived both of those lives is content marketing is journalism, journalism, but it's sales. Like I have an, I have an agenda, right? Like, so when, I, when I worked, when I worked in, and I, and I don't mean that to be like, I don't mean that to be, it, it sounds a little sketchy, right? So let me unpack that a little bit. When I worked in journalism, like you go in a newsroom, I worked in sports, right? It was local sports. I was covering high school football games and basketball, and baseball, right? There wasn't anything that controversial about it. There were a few pieces that I did that were like, there was one piece that was this field, right? That was all screwed up and people, kids were getting hurt on it. And it became like this story about what the community was doing about it and funding and all this kind of stuff. But that's pretty rare, right? Normally it's like this team beat this team. <laughs> they had a good quarterback or whatever it was. But I did spend a lot of time in, in a newsroom and when you talk to journalists, there's this like, there's this, I don't know how to say it. There's this culture in journalism that is about objectivity and bringing the truth to the market. And, and I'm talking about like the reporters, like there, there's plenty of jaded people do within journalism and there's plenty of sketchy stuff that happens in that world. But most sort of people who work in journalism, they have this, they have this idea that the stories are, are they're valuable in and of themselves. And that, and that like getting to the truth of a matter is a it's like a public good. It's like a public service. They, they view themselves as public servants. I'm in marketing today, right? My job is to find products that I believe in, right? And if I do truly believe in them, I'm going to push them. Like, and I, I don't mean push them as in like promote them in a way that like good products solve real problems for real people. And so I'm proud to be a part of like a, of a career field that does that. Right. And that's, like when I do my job well, I'm legitimately wake up every day and I get to help people solve their problems. That's what I get to do. And me as a content person, I get to do it at scale. Not just like a, not just like a salesperson who does it one-to-one, -one, which is also totally honorable work if you're doing it in, in, a, in the right way. But make no mistake, when I write my pieces, I have an agenda. <laughs> Whereas in journalism, right. my agenda was just to capture the story and to bring sort of the truth to the newsprint that, that went on every day. Yeah. I'm glad you uncovered that because that's exactly what I meant by that. It just yeah. is inherently biased, which is inherently bad journalism. Yeah. So I think people thought I was saying content for B2B or tech <laughs> or whatever is inherently crappier than journalism. Yeah. And that's not what I mean. It just means it has an outcome in mind. And if it doesn't, then it's bad content marketing. Exactly. So it's this inverse. I love that. The, the pay Thanks is, for indulging me in that. The, the pay is definitely better though. Like no doubt. <laughs> <laughs> that was the sticking point. Yeah. And I think it, this is super anecdotal, but I think in the responses overall, it was the journalists who agreed and the content marketers. Who agreed. That's funny. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of journalistic approach, I think one of the, my favorite pieces that we've published on our site was all focused on how to write a B2B intro that doesn't suck. And it was 
ended up being really in-depth in the weeds. It was like over 3,000. But our writer just pulled in probably 10, it was 10 or 12 outside content marketers to get their take and examples that they had worked on. So the whole thing was filled with, number one, super tactical advice. Number two, that validation and context from those who are really good at content marketing with quotes. And number three, visual examples to show, okay, here's the tactical advice. Here's what it looks like. And it was so much more effort than writing a thousand word post that was that's basically a listicle, but it's something that's evergreen, really resourceful, and set, set itself up recycling and repurposing and putting out in all sorts of different formats, right? Rather than just going to die. I'm curious for both of you, and Nathan, I sort of know the answer for you, but I mean, I personally believe that content is becoming less and less synonymous with text, you know, or text-based pieces. Where, for both of you, how is your work as a content marketer evolving to to include content from different mediums? Nathan, we'll start with you. I'll give a short answer because it's not complicated. I think you got to give people a chance to... The best pieces I like are the ones that are... And this is what I try to do whenever I can. Is I try to I try to incorporate text, video, and audio in one piece if I can. Visuals too, text, pictures. And so so if I got a visual person that's just scanning, they can get the point. If they got a reader, they can read and they can get the point. If I got an audio person, I can take that same information. It's just like I'm telling one story, but in different formats, right? Like audio, visual, and text. And I, I think the the most robust content marketing strategies will allow people to consume information the way that they like. I think you you hear this debate come up every now and then, like people don't read, people don't listen, people don't watch. That's just, that's missing the point because you've got a, you've got a wide audience of people. Some of those people read, some of them watch, some of them listen. So like your job is to make that information accessible to them in whatever way that they want to consume it if you can. Yeah. I think the key for us is that the type of content we're talking about, if you take the time to go through this curation process before creation, you're going to be set up with a lot better opportunities for audio and video and visual. So we're pretty hyper-focused on what we offer. Like we don't do SEO, we don't do email marketing, et cetera, but we did bring social into what we offer because in our minds, it's so tied together. Like if we're starting a piece of content with an hour long conversation with the CEO, do you know how many like little sound bites and video clips and visuals go come out of that conversation? So why why limit it to an article that right. just lives on the site? Like totally. EJ and I were just we were just talking about using the script to sort of subtitle videos and how to get that. Like, oh, to, to that was the better. Descript conversation. Um, yeah, you know stuff like that. That's what we use. It's just. Uh, and when you were Brooklyn, when you were talking about that article that had all the different examples, like in my head, I'm just like, boy, I'm just filling that into my content calendar for social. There's 10 right there. Boom, boom, boom. Right. You know, I got two weeks, two good weeks of content mm-hmm. for, for LinkedIn Yeah, you get away from, sorry to interrupt. The, you, you, it's like this mindset of social is here's a link to our post. Go check it out. Rather than you have all these insights and visuals. Like there's probably 20 posts there if you chop it up. Right. Yeah. That's one of the things I learned going because I've I've done it too. Brooklyn, you have too, where I've sort of been in house and I've been freelance at different parts of my career. I'm in house today. (laughs) Who knows where I'll be in five years? When I was freelance, it was very like I was very tight. Like I had like two types of things that I delivered. Like I delivered ghostwritten thought leadership and I delivered 
like profile story style stuff, right? Like sometimes that was a case study. Sometimes it ended up being like a longer form piece, but it was two styles of thing. And they were very distinct, right? I did this in this way and did this in this way. Now that I'm in house, I'm sort of, you know, running, sitting in the director's chair. It's, it's much, I see this a lot where I'll, I'll, I'll be talking to somebody and they'll have like a podcast strategy and a webinar strategy and a blog strategy and they'll all be separate, right? There'll be somebody who owns all these different things. What, what I, the way I think about it though, is like, I want like a story or a set of stories. Mm -hmm. And then I'm going to tell those stories through the blog. Like I'm going to tell, it just makes it easier. Right. And like, okay, during yeah. the next six weeks or so, I'm going to tell a story about this particular topic. This is what I'm doing for Q2. Q2 just started yesterday. Right. I've got two of them. We're going to tell these two stories or like I got webinars and blogs and social media posts. Like, and so it's one strategy, but it's against all these different channels. And so it simplifies it for me from a strategy perspective, because I don't have to come up. I'm not constantly just trying to come up with a good idea for the next webinar. <laughs> like I just I'm like, okay, how can I tell this story through the webinar that we're going to do, you know, in four weeks or whatever. So that has helped me simplify sort of my thinking. Any chance you are subscribed to Devin Weed's newsletter? No. It was at Gong and I was at Clary. I'll forward it to you too, but I think it was his last one, walked through exactly this. And he has some great visuals for kind of this waterfall of you're starting with like, here's the narrative one or pillar one, pillar two, pillar three, webinar that goes with that, articles that go with that, yeah. gated asset that goes with that, social posts that go with that. And it just waterfalls down and you got to approach work well. The, the strategy just, it just becomes obvious, right? And I, and I think what's fun about that is like, we create the stories first, like we don't even think about, I'm not even thinking about the channels yet. <laughs> so I've been too com too many conversations over my career where it's like, oh no, we need a blog next Tuesday. What do we do? <laughs> and that, that, that sort of like scrambling, it leads to content that's, if it's one offish and it's not, it's not as, it's not as good as it could be when it's paired with a sort of a larger strategy. I want to pivot. We, Nathan, you and I were talking about brand positioning earlier and you know, you were talking about the content that you were creating around the idea of killing the billable hour and how the billable hour is the villain in the story when it comes to the legal industry. And I really love this idea. And we were having this text exchange and I texted you back that there is this lesson that I learned as an English undergrad that no story exists that isn't based off of conflict. You have to have conflict in order for there to be a story. And it it also goes along with Donald Miller's story stuff. Like, I think it was in Blue Like Jets. No, it was one of his other books where he was talking about that, like people are reticent to change. You know, like they don't want to change. There has to be something that pushes them to change. And that, that pushes usually conflict, you know? And um, so, I'm curious about like where you both are in terms of like building a strategy around, I mean, is it the same as pain points or is it something different to you when you're thinking about like the brand messaging is the, you know, where does the villain fit in? Yeah. Sorry. sorry. Go on. For us, when we're going through editorial strategy with their clients, it starts with the pain points, but there's usually four or five, six pain points per persona. So that the individual pain points help inform actual topic ideation of what we want to cover because it's content that addresses that direct pain point. Right. But then we also try to 
identify what the commonalities are and boil that down to, I, I mean, I, if it's branding, like one message, mm-hmm. like kill the billable hour, like you're talking about, Nathan. If it's for content strategy, like here's the three max four themes that we want to talk about over the course of an entire year. And unless it's like opportunistic or topical, nearly every single piece of content should pull back to tie back to one of those three or four themes. That's exactly how, that's exactly how I set it up to same, same oh, exactly. <laughs> we just went through the whole validation. Messaging. We went through the messaging exercise. We ended up with six. I'm not going to attack all of those all at once. It's six, for, it's six across three personas. So it's two each. That's, and we wrote, we wrote value props for each one. There's tons of overlap between the, the two, so it's not quite as it's never quite as clean as just you know. If I have three, there's usually overlap between them, but yeah, hundred percent. Like I think, I think you're talking about a million miles in a thousand years. Is is I think that's the book from Don Miller that was talking about that. But the conflict, yeah, it's interesting. You know, you get back into some of those old school copywriting books where they talk about like the awareness ladder and do people even know they have a problem to solve. <laughs> And I think this really good book called Great Leads. I think the the authors are Masterson and I'm forgetting I'm forgetting the next one. I'll send you the link, EJ, so you can put it in the show notes or something like that. But it's it's based on the awareness ladder from that book, Scientific Advertising, from Eugene Schwartz from like 1967 or whatever. But it just says like if you have an audience that doesn't even know they have a problem, you can write headlines that look like this. <laughs> if you have an audience that knows they have a problem and they're searching for an answer, you can write headlines that look like this. Right? You can be because if you go to an audience that doesn't even know they have a problem, you can't talk about product. They don't care. Mm-hmm. Here, buy this umbrella. Well, it's not raining. Like, I don't need an umbrella, right? But if I go up to you and I'm like, your head's on, like, you've lost all your hair and you don't have any sunscreen on your head and you're going to get sunburned. Maybe you want this umbrella. And now you started somewhere and introduced me to a problem and then give, handed me a solution. So the, the villain in all those cases is it always comes back to some sort of problem, right? Some sort of issue that they're trying to solve. And so I do... I do think that EGS this is what we learned at when we were working with grow and convert, right? Like pain point, they talk about pain point SEO. There is that the, the way that they talk about it there. And so even for things like SEO, like those pain points, if they're, if they're compelling enough, if they're real problems, problems we're solving, those are villains in those people's lives. So mm-hmm. I don't, the, the danger I think is, the danger when you start to talk about villains and conflict and modeling against like the, the hero's journey stuff is in the hero's journey, it's the villain is a person. And there's a really, there's a really big danger. I think that some, some marketers fall into where they make, they make some other person or some other group of people, the villain in the way that they tell their story. And that always just comes across as kind of gross. Um, the, the best villains when you're talking about marketing are, problems with it's a system. That's the problem or it's a symptom. That's the problem or it's in the case of the bill of law, right? It's a system itself. It's, it's not any one person that created the system. Everybody is sort of, they find themselves sort of boxed in by the system. And we're talking about breaking free from the system, right? Tear it all down and do something new, this, this kind of stuff. So you have to be really careful not to villainize people, right? Otherwise you end up, you know, that's even that is a bit of controversial though. There are marketers out there who will say you need to like pick a villain and go after them. I don't know. I, I've always found more success by talking about systems that are broken that you maybe didn't even realize, or maybe you've never even examined that, that tends to open people up to, to just considering new ways of doing things. I think another good, I really love all of that. I think another good villain is 
the, the actual thing that you're working on. Like I think of Lavender, which is a sales email tool. And they, they don't talk about sales reps being bad at sales emails. They talk about sales emails being crappy because yes. guess what? We've all received a crappy sales email. So their whole thing is making better sales emails. And I think it's so smart because it's not a person. It's not save time on your emails. It's let's make a better sales email. I love it. I was, I was working at a conference in, in Vegas last fall and it was again legal. Right. And so every, every, there's probably 7,500 booths there or something. They're all blue or like dark green or like purple. <laughs> and it just, they're all like, we'll save you time. We'll make you money. We'll make you more efficient. Like they, they all could have been created yeah. by the same exact person. People. And we're like in the corner, we had a crappy booth location, but we're in the corner with like bright yellow stuff. It's just kill the bill blower down our shirts, running around. Like you couldn't miss us. And it was just good. It was just because we had something to say, right? Something to say that wasn't, that wasn't just the same old thing that everybody else was saying. And so my boss says, and it's, guess what? It's, it's so easy to be ignored, right? Because <laughs> you could have gone that route. Totally. Like help, find help with finding outside counsel. Yeah. Save time in the process, save money. Like, yeah. But you didn't. You found the more compelling narrative. Oh, I have love. tons of that stuff still on the internet that I got to eventually replace, right? It's like that <laughs> stuff is still floating around there. Like, like it's, not, it's not as if you that stuff that isn't out there eventually, but I've got a website revamp project to, to, to work on over the next couple of months. So stuff like that takes, it takes, it takes a while to really sort of get your hands around something like that and, and really make it go in all the different places where people might see it. But, but yeah, spot on in terms of like the courts, the storytelling. I'm really excited. I'm, I'm actually talking to Chelsea, who's the content person at lavender in a day or two for the podcast oh cool yeah chelsea castle yes oh nice she's been great sweet i i haven't talked to her yet so i'm excited but one of the things that i told her i wanted to talk to her about is taking risks in brand you know which i think is what we're talking about you know like there and i think there are some brands that really lean into it like lavender but i think as when you're working in an agency setting or as a freelancer it's it's harder to build that trust and that confidence up to really have bolder brand or even just encourage bolder brand statements and that kind of thing. And I, I think that's one of the things that I, I didn't realize I was missing only freelancing and, and never having worked at a, for a corporation until I worked for Fastspring was that, oh, when you have a couple of years to really like dig into what a company should be or wants to be, then you can start to get a little bolder and, and just more aware, I think of what those stories are that are hiding under the surface. Right. But I'm curious, do you, do you have examples, either of you of like these, these aha moments where all of a sudden like content marketing, like the, the possibilities or the, the content that you created got deeper and better because there was a relationship that had developed with the company that you're working with or writing for. I think for me, it was, and you did a similar path as me, Nathan. I, it's one of the reasons, one of the pieces of advice, not universally, but I said, just consider it. If you're a freelance writer and you've only been a freelance writer, or it's been a long time since you've been in-house, go in-house for a while, because you'll learn so much more about the broader marketing function and go-to-market. And that's what it was for me. It was when I went from, I was only a freelance writer for seven years, and then I was in-house for two years at two different startups. And for me, that was the turning point because then I 
connected the dots between, okay, this is what demand gen is looking for out of content. This is what sales is looking for out of content. This is what the CEO is looking for and wants. And they all want different things. So you have to figure out how to <laughs> juggle them. And then I found the best way to juggle it and land on something that appeals to everybody internally and let alone your prospects and customers is what we just what we were talking about at the beginning of this conversation is starting with those insights and being purposeful. I think every time I talk to somebody from my target audience, like I come away with like so many things that I'm like, man, I wish I would have known that before. <laughs> that always happens. And I'll tell you the first time that happened, it was, it was probably this is like 2010, 2011, something like that. This is wait, first job back back after I made the first marketing job after I moved out of journalism. This was the one I was talking about earlier where it was like 50 people marketing, 5,000 people in the company. Really difficult to get in front of a customer, but I talked my way into doing a ride along with a salesperson. And would, they, they would actually like, they had like company cars and they would visit. So we were selling, we were selling software to car dealerships across the US and Canada. So if you've, if you've ever been to a car dealership to try and buy a car, and they like pull out a tablet and like type your name in or a computer and type your name into that system. There was a 40% chance it was that company's, that company's software. Selling software to car dealers, like there is no more aggressive sales audience than the car dealers. <laughs> like, like those, those people are up for the fight. They're like, you want to sell me something? Let's go. Like they, they, they do it almost <laughs> just for fun. Right. And so I didn't know it at the time because I was really, I was completely new to marketing. I, but I, I know now how good of a sales team that team was mm -hmm. like they were they were among the best salespeople that I've ever had a chance to work with. And so so I did this ride along with one guy and he was taking over an account, right? So one guy left so he was taking over part of his territory. So he's like, come on, we'll just like we'll go visit this this dealership. And it was in it was in Indiana, two two hour drive to get there. And going to this guy, we're like, hey, is the dealer there? And the guy like the dealer's like walking out as we're walking in. And he's like, Are you from are you from that company? Like and apparently like nobody from our company had visited him in like two and a half years and he'd been under this big contract dispute and he was he was beyond angry <laughs> like he was like mm. red hot angry he's like come here and he takes us up to his little office which is above the showroom in this car dealership and where i can't even remember where we were in indiana and he like he's like sit down he's so sat on the chair and he like opens his file cabinet pulls out like the contract we had him in like locked in a seven-year contract <laughs> And we had forced him through the contract to, to do some really expensive upgrade on something. I don't remember the details, but he was so angry <laughs> and he had two years, two years left on that deal. And he slapped that thing on the, on the, on the table and just started like laying in to the both of us. And I'm like, what is happening right now? This is the first like sales experience for first time in front of a customer at this company. Oh, <laughs> and, um, I, I'll never forget my, the sales guy I was with, he was just like, oh, interesting. And he just sort of like. He just sort of, he listened and listened and listened. And the guy just raised and raised. And he probably raised for 10 minutes or so. And then finally he took a breath and our sister said, well, I'm sorry to hear all that, but I'm your new sales rep. You got me for two years. Is there anything I do to help you? And he just started to ask him questions. And the guy was like, well, you could do this. And well, you could, if you come back, you can at least show my service guys how to, you know, improve how they do. And like quietly, gently, like my sales guy just started to sort of get, buy-in for a few next steps mm. to sort of get into the account. And the guy was not, it's not like we walked out of there. The guy was happy. <laughs> he was still angry. <laughs> but I, we, we eventually walked out of the dealership and the guy went, he was going to lunch. We caught him right before lunch, which was like the worst time ever. But we got in the, the, the sales guy's car and I looked at him and like, does that happen a lot? He was like, oh, it happens every now and then. You just got to let him get it out. <laughs> and I remember thinking like, 
okay, like that's the audience. Like that's the audience I'm writing for. When I go back to the office and I write the email that goes out this week that goes out to 70,000 people, that's who it is, right? Like this guy, this is who it is. This is, this is what he cares about. This is what's interesting to him. And that's how to make, it completely changed everything for me. Like that, that having that insight into what was important to him, even though it was <laughs> delivered in a very angry way, but to have, to have my sales guy be so just, it just roll with it. Like that, that experience was so eye opening for me personally. And I have, I've never had an experience quite that combative before, <laughs> but I think every time I've, every time I've been on a call or had an opportunity to talk to somebody from the, the audience, whether that's a customer or a future customer, it's always like that. I always learn so much about what they care about. And so that, that's just what it was for me. Nathan's story was so much better than mine. <laughs> great. I've been practicing that story for a while. I told that one a few times. So it's a good one. <clears throat> I love it. Well, you know, superpower is storytelling. There you go. We've already got, I, I was going to end by asking, you know, if you could change one thing about B2B marketing, what it would it be? And I feel like both of your answers would be something around, you know, actually talking to people, talking to customers. So anything else like any here's, Here's how I'd like you both to, to leave it is for content marketers out there, wannabe content marketers or any type of marketer who's working in B2B, if you're not able to talk to customers, what are other ways that you encourage people just to learn the market that they might not be thinking about and to break down these really shallow personas? I think for me, it's, <clears throat> we've talked a lot about talking to your customer and your audience, mm -hmm. but I think it honestly can start with, I mean, when we first started chatting, we were talking about content as a silo. Yeah. And I think way too often that's the case where you have content marketing who put stuff out there, but then you have product marketing and customer marketing who they get to talk to the customers, but content doesn't. Mm -hmm. Or the man gen talks to sales, but content doesn't or brand talks to the leadership, but content doesn't. And it just, I think content flows through not just all your marketing functions, but like the entire go-to-market org, like everybody needs content. So I think we need to stop treating content marketing as this siloed thing that sits alongside and treat it something that's more foundational to multiple functions. Yeah, wholeheartedly agree with that. I think that's what I would say is that if we can get content, embedded more into the other parts of the organization that'll go a long way to giving it'll solve this problem where we're isolated and just writing stuff based on what we find in google great well thanks again both of you this has been great so and i'm so happy you now know each other <laughs> yeah finally face to face right <clears throat> Love it. thanks cj appreciate it thanks for the cj i love the the multiple guest format this is really fun <laughs>